Well, good morning once again, everybody. Um, 27 times. 27. 27 times the Lord Jesus speaks these words, follow me. 27 times in the Gospels, follow me. Now, we don't normally think of follow me as one of the top 10, but it it is in the top 10. It is near the top of the top 10. Follow me. We're going to look at just two of those instances here, beginning first in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And then the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he said. He told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, here's the question I want us to begin to explore this morning. And it's this. What in the world was it about Jesus What was it about him that he could simply walk up to these men that he'd never met before and say, follow me, and they would instantly, immediately get up, leave their livelihood, leave their family, leave their father, leave everything they knew his life, what life had been up to that point, and follow him without having the slightest idea as to where it was he was going to lead them. What was it about Jesus? Now, I have no doubt that Jesus was, uh, had a very pleasing personality. I think that's quite evident from Scripture. He was a, a winsome person. He was enjoyable, encourageable, encouraging to be around. But those guys have been around other winsome people before. They've been with other people that they enjoyed being with. So what was it about Jesus? Immediately follow him. One word. Authority. Authority. Jesus had divine, godly authority. Now, we got to be careful with this word because with some people, the authority has a negative connotation and positive with others. But usually when we think of authority, we think, first of all, those who have authority by virtue of the position they hold. They may be your boss at work, they may be a teacher at school, a coach, they may be a military commander. We think of authority as someone who holds that because of the position that they have. And another way we think of authority would be as inherited. We just saw an example of that in England. Or at the death of Queen Elizabeth, her son Charles assumed the throne. He became the king of England. And with that position, he has authority that is given to him in that role, but it's authority that was not earned or necessarily deserved, but it was authority by virtue of the fact that he inherited <clears throat> that responsibility. 
But there's another kind. What you might refer to as charismatic authority. That's a quality that's very difficult to describe, but that you rarely find in a person in such a way that you just, again, hard to define, you just sense it about them. It's not about how much education they have. It's not about how much wealth they have. It's not about their status in society or anything like that. It's a matter of you just know it's there. You just know they've got it. Uh, one example. How many of you remember Mother Teresa? Remember Mother Teresa? <clears throat> I don't see any hands out there. <laughs> I remember Mother Teresa. A very tiny, unassuming, and, and very frankly, unattractive woman. She was invited to speak on campus at Harvard University. This is just one of many examples we could give. Spoke on campus at Harvard University. Out in the comments, hundreds if not thousands of people show up. She gets up, on the, gets up to the microphone. She has to lower it down because she's so tidy. And the first words out of her mouth were, I have come here today to tell you that many of you are committing sexual sin. Harvard University. And then she goes on for the next half hour exhorting them towards sexual purity. Now, how many could get away with speaking at Harvard like that, much less any other university campus? But they were dead silent. Nobody moved the entire time. Because she had divine authority, godly authority. Now, when you think about Jesus, multiply that times about a million <laughs> At least a million. He had the very best, the most engaging kind of authority, again, that you could find in a person. He had divine, godly authority. And when Jesus' disciples responded to his simple invitation to follow me, they were responding to that. They were captured by his godly, divine authority. Now, in those encounters with Jesus, those personal encounters with Christ, his authority was, was, was just implied, really. I mean, implied in a big way, but, but implied. Now, there were other situations, though, in the Gospels where you see where occasions where his authority is clearly acknowledged and spoken of. For instance, the people sensed it as soon as Jesus began his public teaching ministry, Luke chapter 4. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. Same thing, Matthew 7, verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law did. But this same authority, this same authority that was attracted to so many is the same authority that made the religious leaders want to kill him. The same authority. As Jesus began his last week of public ministry, you recall that amazing entry into Jerusalem that we refer to as, as the triumphant entry? When he got into Jerusalem, you may remember that, that he, it, was, it was getting late, and so he just walked into the temple, looked around, and obviously did not approve of what he saw. Because we read that the very next day, Matthew 21, that Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be, a, will be called a house of prayer, 
but you are making it a den of robbers. Now, notice, Jesus did not go to the high priest and ask for permission before he did that, did he? <laughs> he did not go before the Sanhedrin, before the, the, the rulers of the Jews in Jerusalem, and ask them, hey, what exactly are the rules for cleansing the temple? <laughs> no. The only person he talked to beforehand was his heavenly father. On the following day, we read Matthew 21, verse 23, Jesus entered the temple courts again, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? Now, keep Keep that scene in, in your mind because we're going to come back to it. I, I, I just wish I had time this morning to uh, show you every place in the Gospels where Jesus claims the authority, claims authority, I mean, everything from the authority to teach to the authority to heal, the authority to, to cast out demons, the authority to forgive sins, the authority to give eternal life, and, and so much more. Again, the authority Jesus possessed challenged those Jewish religious leaders, a huge challenge to them. But what they were most frightened of was the way that Jesus' authority challenged the authority of their treasured traditions of Judaism. That was an authority and tradition that had started hundreds of years earlier with Moses when God gave him the laws that the Jewish people were supposed to live by. <clears throat> But now Jesus comes along and starts teaching things like, from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Well, who was it that said that to the people long ago? It was Moses. But I tell you, Jesus said, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Now, understand, Jesus is not discounting Moses' authority here, but he is saying that he, Jesus, has the authority to not only properly interpret what Moses said, but to also add to that. Along with that, we see multiple occasions throughout the Gospels where Jesus is, is breaking with the, the legalistic practices that were surrounded the observance of the Sabbath. There are traditions, there are ongoing traditions. Even, he even reinterprets the meaning of the Sabbath. He says to them in Mark 2, verse 27, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. <laughs> and then there were many, many times, you probably recall, you've read some of these instances where Jesus begins what he is saying with the words, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, that was not just, that was not an expression of, of exaggeration. It, it, truly, truly, I say to you, what Jesus means when he says that is this. Hey, listen up. I am about to give you the authoritative, God-ordained truth about this matter. Those are powerful words. Demonstrating his authority. Jesus exercised so much authority that, again, he was a big problem to the Jewish religious system as it existed because they, that is the religious leaders, thought they were the authorities. 
And they had this very highly developed system of authority, a system that Jesus continually ignored time and time again. Again, he never asked them to approve his doctrine. He never asked them for permission to heal someone. He never asked them to approve casting out of, his casting out of demons. He didn't ask for their advice on, on how to give eternal life. He ignored it. He just ignored them. Another thing, you also often read in the gospel some 14 different times when people are address him as rabbi. Now, we, we kind of blow past that like we blow past some of those follow me statements that Jesus makes. But uh, those are, those are, that's an amazing address because that is a title that was not easily bestowed. It was hard to come by. You see, the rabbis were considered to be the custodians of the Jewish faith and traditions. They would go through years and years of study until finally, around the age of 40, they went through a ceremony in which the rabbis who had mentored them would then lay hands on them as a formal act of ordination. And that act of ordination was considered to be the conferring of the authority and responsibility to serve as those custodians of Judaism. That was a practice of ordination that they considered went all the way back, that laying on of hands, all the way back to Moses, when they believed that's exactly what he did for his successor, Joshua. And we read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9, where it says that Joshua was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. And, and so you see that that practice of rabbinical ordination is something that, again, began with Moses, continued generation after generation, all the way up until the time of Christ, and all the way up until today, as a matter of fact. Until today. And, so very important, the Hebrew word for that transferred authority to each succeeding generations of rabbis is the word rashut. Rashut. Isn't that a great word? Rashut. That's automatopoeia, you know, where, where the word sounds like what it is. Authority. Rashut. <laughs> like there's a, a great story from the second century AD when the, the Roman emperor Hadrian had just just finally got to the point where he was fed up with this little troublemaking, you know, pesky, uh, small province of Palestine that was a part of his empire. He got tired of them revolting over and over and over again. Finally, his advisors told him how to stop those revolts. And they explained to him what the heart of Judaism really was. And so the first thing that Hadrian did was to issue a decree that banned any ceremony where, that involved the laying on of hands by the rabbis. And then he set out to start killing all of the existing rabbis, knowing that by doing that, he could put an end to this rashut, this ongoing authority that they claim. Well, one of the last rabbis on their list to kill was a man named Judah ben Baba. And, and when, he, when he was actually caught by Hadrian's soldiers in the act of ordaining, before they could lay hands on him, uh, he lined his students up very quickly, laid hands on them real quickly, and said, run. He said, run, just scatter. And they did. Now, unfortunately, he, he was so old at that point, he could not run, and so he was killed. He was killed, but Rashut was saved. It was saved. So... 
To be a rabbi then, are you still with me? (laughs) To be a rabbi then is to know who laid hands on you. It's to know who ordained you. It's to know the source of your rashut, of your authority. So going back to that scene, I told you to keep in mind, going back to that scene when Jesus cleansed the temple, what was it the religious leaders demanded to know? You remember? They asked him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? They wanted to know. Jesus, what is the source of your rashut? And the answer is God the Father. Jesus has the rashut of God himself. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And that authority, again, put him in opposition to all the other religious authorities of his day. Who laid hands on Jesus? God did. God the Father ordained Jesus. In other words, friends, that means that Jesus is not just another rock in your collection of rocks. He is the rock upon which you, should, you better build your house or your house will fall. He is not just another vine in the vineyard. He is the vine that you better be connected to or you will wither. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. His reshoot, the reshoot of Christ, the authority of Christ, challenges every other source of authority in our world. Not just then, but every other authority in our world today. Again, that's why he was such a threat to the religious authorities, to the Jewish religious authorities. That's why they crucified him. But that's also, that's also why Peter, Andrew, James, John, and Matthew immediately left their life behind and followed him. Follow me, Jesus said. Friends, I think you'll agree with this. The fact is, we all follow someone or something. Is that not right? We all follow someone or something. It may be a celebrity, an author, a teacher, a professor, a politician, or maybe you just simply follow your own self. Someone, something, maybe you follow money, possessions, success. Different authorities are always trying to demand our attention. Voices that are constantly asking for our obedience or at the very least our acquiescence. And so let me ask, who or what are you following? Who are you following? If your answer is Jesus, then what is the status of your fellowship today. What's the status of your fellowship? Julie and I had the opportunity to go to New York City a while back, and <clears throat> we did a lot, a lot of walking. <laughs> and I discovered very, very quick, I, when I work out, I work out on, on an elliptical for the most part, and, and I found out that working on an elliptical does not equate to walking. <laughs> 
Jesus was, I mean, Jesus, <laughs> she, she reminds me of Jesus so often, my wife, Julie, and uh, uh, Freudian slip there, right? Um, uh, uh, <laughs> Julie, again, was, she was in, in great walking shape, and, and she was well prepared. I, on the other hand, was not. Uh, I was just not ready. And, I, and we probably walked up to as many as eight miles a day. Well, there were times when I was just lagging behind, just lagging behind. But because she loves me, she did not leave me in the dust. Now, there was one time she drug me across an intersection because the light was about to turn red. But no, I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Close, but not, not quite. So when I was lagging, she could still look over her shoulder back at me to make sure that, you know, I haven't face planted somewhere or stopped for a bagel or stepped into a donut shop or something. She made sure that I was still following. If you're a follower of Jesus, and he is to, would, to, would look over his shoulder back at you this morning, what does he see right now? What does he see? Does he see you lagging far behind? Does he see you still following? Have you veered off the path to go after some temptation? I'm not talking about ice cream. <laughs> Have you fallen far behind? Have you just stopped? In John chapter 10, Jesus declared multiple times that he is the good shepherd. The good shepherd. And then he says in verse 27, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Now, he's alluding to a practice in the Middle East at, the, at that point in Palestine where, uh, where the, there would be occasions when they would put multiple flocks of sheep in the same pen in order to make sure that they were protected for the night. And then the next morning, as the shepherds were all preparing to leave, each one would then call out to his own sheep. And the sheep actually recognized their shepherd's voice. And so they knew their shepherd's voice. They would follow him and only him out of the pen and into the fields. Friends, there are lots of other voices claiming authority out there that are vying for your attention, wanting you to follow them. But if you're following Jesus... You'll reject all those other voices, and you'll stay focused. You'll choose daily to follow only the voice of the one who is truly the good shepherd. Whenever I take time to, to study this, this matter of, of following Jesus, specifically following Jesus, I'm always reminded of, of a sweet little moment uh, that happened years ago. I, I had just uh, completed seminary and had gone to work serving as a youth pastor at a church in Little Rock. And my, I think it was my second week on the job, no more than the third week, maybe the first week, but I think it was the second week on the job, we went to youth camp. And we went to youth camp at the Arkansas Baptist Assembly in, in Salem Springs. I don't know if I'm pointing in the right direction, but you guys know where Salem Springs is most likely. And it was a huge camp, a huge camp. And in fact, they would have children's camp going on at the same time they had youth camp going on. But it was big enough where they, they were in two different sections of the camp. 
but everybody had to share the same swimming pool. And so there would be designated times for different age groups to go swimming. And gender groups, by the way. You didn't have mixed swimming back in those days at Arkansas Baptist Assembly. <laughs> Sounds like a long time ago, doesn't it? Um, and so I, I was standing there one afternoon with a group of our guys, and, and we were waiting to go into the pool, and, and a little group of elementary boys were, were coming out. And, and I, was, I was watching them, and two of them caught my eye. The two, obviously, brothers, a big brother and a little brother. little brother was named Arlie. I, I knew that because I heard his big brother calling him Arlie. <laughs> And um, so I was watching these two little guys leave, and they're both barefoot, and uh, big brother's walking out in front of, of little brother Arlie, and, and, all, and Arlie, as Arlie's walking, I mean, he, he's stepping on all those sharp rocks, you know, little sharp rocks, ouch, 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 ouch. <laughs> and then finally, big brother turns around to him and says, Arlie, Arlie, just step where I'm stepping, and you'll be okay. You see, big brother knew where the sharp rocks were. He knew how to avoid the sharp rocks, and he was leaving little wet footprints behind, so it was very easy if Arlie would just step where he was stepping, he wouldn't experience all that pain. Friends, we, we are going to experience pain in this world. On this side of heaven, we are going to experience pain. But we can avoid so much of that pain that we bring upon ourselves if we would but just follow the footprints of Jesus. Follow in his footsteps. Let's follow him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our good, good shepherd. We thank you that you, as you invite us to follow you, that it is, as difficult as that can be sometimes, that, that that is the very, very best way to live our lives. So Lord, again, it's our simple prayer this morning. Let us be more and more faithful each and every day to follow you, to simply follow you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.